welcome to the Thankful Homemaker Podcast, a podcast to be an encouragement and blessing to each other in the role God has called us to as women. I'm so thankful you stopped by, so grab yourself a coffee or tea and sit with me a bit as we talk about how God's Word impacts every area of our lives as Christian women. Hello, friends. I'm Marcy Farrell from ThankfulHomemaker.com. And I am so glad to be back here with you all from my hiatus. And I don't know about you, but my summer is flying by. And I really love what I'm able to do here at the blog and the podcast. But it does take some time to put together the content. So thank you so much for your patience with me. And that I was able to get a bit of um, some time off. And my husband teased me today as I was coming back into the office to record. He's like, you back in the recording studio today? So it's not really a recording studio. It's a computer with a microphone. But it feels good to be sitting back here again today. So this summer, um, so far, I've really been working through a study on Genesis that I really have loved. Um, I've been reading through the Psalms this summer. Jerry Bridges has been high on my list of reads again. Um, I'm rereading, or I reread, I should say, the disciplines, the discipline of grace, which is a great book. And then I've been reading a bit of fiction too, which has been new for me this past year. I got away from fiction for quite a while, but now I'm enjoying um, just a good fiction read, almost on a monthly basis, not quite. And I am slowly working through the excellent life with a friend. And I've just been doing a lot of reading and listening to prepare for this series that we're starting today on marriage. So this is the first one in the series. I don't know technically how many there be because it I have it set in my mind, but it could build. I'm just going to allow the Lord to work there. If something else pops out that we're reading or I see, then I go, you know, that would be a great one to add to this series. Um, but in my mind, I kind of have it set. So I'm going to go through that as we move on here. But I'm really excited for this one because I've enjoyed my time for preparing for it. And I'm really, really hoping um, that it's going to work out that my husband will join us for not just an episode, but maybe two or maybe more. We're not sure what that looks like yet because I've never had a quote guest on the show. Um, so, but I assured him that I have lovely listeners who are going to offer us much grace as we try to figure this out and get comfortable having a conversation with a microphone in between us and what that looks like. So my Doug and I have been married for over 32 years. And I know sometimes you guys hear me refer to him as my Dougie. And we are continual learners in our walk with the Lord. We've watched the Lord grow us in our time together more in our love for the Lord. And then in and through him, more in our love for one another. And my husband is my best friend. He's the one I turn to first for any guidance next to the Lord on things that are going on in my life. He's the one here on this earth I most desire to spend my time with. I just really love being with him. And as I say this, our marriage is not perfect. We have our own issues and struggles and we don't always respond lovingly or kindly to one another, but we've learned to offer much more grace as the years go on because we have seen even more and more and continue to how much grace that we've been given. So this first podcast in the series is foundational because it's laying out from God's word, his design for marriage. And also in this episode, I'm going to touch briefly about the role that he's called us to as women. 
So, um, and again, a lot of this, ladies, I know those of you, it's probably going to be repeat information, but I pray that you'll hear it afresh. Um, I know for me, I need reminders because I am forgetful. So I hope um, that you'll just take this time in, and it may desire you to get a little deeper in the scriptures of Genesis and Ephesians and Titus, some of those areas where our role as women is laid out pretty clearly. So for the series so far, this is the layout that I have in my mind. The next one will be about loving our husbands and what does that look like biblically. And then we're going to move on to the next session for respect and talk about things like how to show respect to our husbands, what that looks like. And then I want to add in here, because a lot of us may be thinking this, that even when we don't think that they deserve it, what does that look like to show respect to our husbands? And then I'm calling it the dreaded S word, but it's really not submission. Submission is not very popular in our day, but many times it's because it's a misunderstood concept. It really simply comes down to that my heart must be submitted first and foremost to the Lordship of Jesus. And when we willingly come under God, this is very simple to do, I should say, when we, um, when we willingly come under God-ordained human authorities in our lives, that is submission. And that's a lot easier to do when we are submitting. I'm going to go back again and say it first and foremost to the Lordship of Jesus. And then I'm hoping to bring my husband in on submission, and he is going to share about the theology of submission, and then we're going to work through together what does biblical submission look like lived out practically. And in doing that, we're going to work through some um, areas, talk through, and this will be more my part of it on what it is and what it isn't. So I'm looking forward to doing that together with him so we could have a little conversation and just talk about that and even to come back to our early marriage. And um, really, as a new believer, I didn't understand or was really never taught submission, never quite had a full grasp what that meant. And just how our marriage transformed as, as we started to fulfill what God's roles were and we started to line our lives under that and how that shaped our marriage to where we are today and continues to. And again, even as I study through this, I'm continuing to learn and be reminded. So it has been so good. I am so thankful for this. Um, another session, we're going to talk about communication and the importance of it in our marriages. And then lastly, I'm debating on one on intimacy. Um, and as I work through this topic, if I'm pretty comfortable with it, I'd like to try and do it. This is this is my unknown topic yet. It, it may be one for the married crowd only. I don't know that, but I would let you know that as I get there. Um, obviously, I'm, I'm a G-rated blog and podcast. I, I don't even know if this would go into a PG area, so I need to figure out that, and I'm really praying on that one, and I would appreciate prayers for me too, ladies, as I go through this series, that you would be praying for me and pray that I hold to biblical truth and that God's um, areas are open to me that, that I've not seen yet in the scriptures as I'm expositing and reading and studying the word, because then I'm able to share it too. And I pray that that always that this podcast and my time with you just inspires you and encourages you to get deeper in your study of God's word. So, um, Again, then intermingled in all those topics, I hope to give some biblical guidance, 
when it fits in dealing with things like conflict in our marriages. And then to those ladies out there who are married to unbelieving husbands, and um, or maybe even you're married to a believing husband who doesn't seem to be living as a believer, all right? So we're going to work through and intermingle some things in and through the, the different um, um, sessions. So I have some great resources I'm using, and I'm going to list them in the show notes for each episode so you can dig a bit more yourself in these areas too. Okay, so with all that out of the way, let's start to dig into our first session on marriage, which is God's design for marriage and our role as women. And as I start here, I'm using Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 to 25 as my main understanding of God's design for marriage here. Obviously, there's many more passages in scripture than that, but I'm going to walk through these passages with you to start, but we'll be looking at other passages. So if you're in a place to sit and have your Bible handy, I'd love you to follow along with me if you can do that. If not, just listen. And as always, I list all the scripture references in the show notes so you can go back and dig yourself and look through them again. So Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So here we go. Our understanding of God's design for marriage is really important. And first to note is we are created by God and we are accountable to God. And God is the creator of all things. All right. So Genesis 1, 27 through 28 says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Okay, two important things to note here. Both male and female were created in God's image. We are the only of God's creation created in his image. Only humans reflect God. We were not created in his image as perfectly holy or unable to sin, but we were created to have intellect, emotion, will. We can think and feel and choose. And then secondly, God gave both man and woman the command to subdue the earth and have dominion over it. So having dominion over something means to take responsibility for it. We're to be good stewards of God's created world. So I love Genesis 2 because Moses is going to retell us the creation story with a bit more detail. So as I always am reminded, if something is repeated in scripture, pay close attention to it, right? And as I'm saying that, obviously we need to pay attention to all scripture, but you get what I mean. If God is repeating it, it's important. So Genesis 2, 7 then brings us into, then the Lord God formed the man of dust, formed the man of dust from the ground. Sorry, I'm going to start that again. Genesis 2, 7, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. I love that detail of how we get, of how man became a living soul. There's a blend here of sacred and the lowly. I think about that, God breathing and the dust of the ground. He's from the dust of the ground, but God breathed into his nostrils. God exhales into man and he comes to life. God breathes life. He breathes the physical, the mental, and spiritual into his creation who is to bear his image. There are so many ways God could have brought man to life, but this is the way he chose. So just a quick note here. In Genesis 2, I want you guys to note this. The name for God shifts from Eliohim to Yahweh. It points us to the personal and relational nature of God. Eliohim and the basic meaning behind the name for God of Eliohim is one of strength or power. 
um, or effect, power of effect. So Eliyahim is the infinite, all-powerful God who shows by his works that he's the creator, sustainer, and supreme judge of the world. And that's how God was referred to in Genesis chapter 1. But now in Genesis chapter 2, we see God referred to as the Lord God. It's a more personal title. It's the title for Lord that we know as Yahweh. And its meaning is that our God is self-existent. Only God has life in and of himself. And as those who are created in his image, we are dependent upon God for our lives and existence. Whether or not people acknowledge that, they are. So we came into being by God and we're kept alive by God. Our God is transcendent but he is also personal. God is near us as his children. Those of us who have repented of our sins and put our faith and trust in Christ alone for salvation are now adopted into God's family. We are his children. We are drawn close to him. Those are two areas we need to keep in balance though. We don't want to fall too far to one side or the other, right? We want to hold in good tension the transcendence of God and the nearness of God to his people. And I know it, there's times in our lives we can draw closer to one or the other, but we do want to hold those tightly in tension there. So Genesis chapter 2 then says, moves on, verses 18 to 20. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not a helper fit for him. Okay, so Adam was given the task of naming the living creatures. Liv isn't, Liv, Eve isn't in this picture yet. So Adam is naming the livestock, the birds of the heavens, and every beast of the field. And I love, in a sermon I listened to about from Genesis by John MacArthur, he joked that God had man named the animals before Eve was created or it would have never been finished. I'm sorry, they would have never agreed on names, he said. And that just made me chuckle a little bit there. So just to throw a little lightheartedness in here. <laughs> but okay, but think this all through. The creation account God creates and declares everything is good, and even states after creation was finished on the sixth day that everything was very good in Genesis 1.31. But in these verses I just read, this is the first time he uses the term not good in Genesis 2.18. It is not good for the man to be alone. No other creature is a suitable helper for Adam. And Adam saw that as the animals walked past him. There was no one suitable for him, right? No one like him. So, Truly, marriage was designed by God. Man and woman complement each other. Our culture and the Supreme Court have now redefined marriage to something it's not intended to be. And Judges 21-25 comes to my mind. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Marriage is designed by God to be one man and one woman. Our God and his word are infallible and fully sufficient and timeless. So his perfect design for marriage it doesn't change. No matter what our changing culture determines, our unchanging God has already spoken. So listen, ladies, we can hold to a biblical view of creation and of man and woman and what marriage is and still speak truth in a loving, compassionate way to those who don't hold to that. It is a narrow view, and it's not a politically correct view we hold as believers. And most importantly, though, it's God's view, but we can speak truth about it in a way that is kind and compassionate. We always need to remember, and 
I'm reminding myself because I'm not good at this. You know, I can get that thought in my mind and I just want to get it out and not listen to the other person. But we need to learn to be good listeners before we respond to others, especially on these difficult topics. Because if people feel they're being heard, they're more likely to listen to you. All right, so simply stated here, marriage is a lifelong covenant between a man and a woman, which was established by God. So Genesis chapter 2, verses 21 through 24 says, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, and before I read this, I just want to say I love this because it's like the first love poem. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Those are beautiful verses, Genesis chapter 2, 21 through 24. All right, so God created us to complement each other in marriage. We are created male and female. God created the gender differences. Only a man can complete a woman, and only a woman can complete a man. And if I look in verse 24 at one flesh, that has physical implications too in this referring to the sexual union. It's referring to our one flesh union and uniting our hearts and minds and spirits. And we're going to talk about this more in my quote, possible podcast on intimacy, but it's also about physically uniting our bodies. One flesh is the way as man and woman, God designed us to come together physically. And it is clearly, there's no question here, two people of the opposite sex, which is how we have understood it as Christians since the beginning. And it is how we are designed to procreate. So as Adam was naming the animals, he realizes that there are none like him. But in verse 23 of Genesis 2, he joyfully declares, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Note Adam names woman here, and he clearly declares that she is like me because she came from me. Eve was made for Adam and from Adam. So the woman was taken out of man. Think here for a moment how God spoke and creation came into being. God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed life into him. But for woman, she was taken out of man. God formed the male and the female animals separately, but it's good to note that woman was taken out of man. Woman was formed as a part of the man, and in Genesis 2.18, it states to be a helper fit for him. Eve was made from the same stuff as Adam and was created in God's image just as the man, and she was brought into being to strengthen and to help Adam. In many instances of the Bible, the Holy Spirit and God himself are referred to as a helper using the same word. So I want to elaborate on this one a bit because it is so important for us to grasp as wives. So one of the first roles here we're talking about is going to be helper. So when the Lord refers to the woman in Genesis 2.18 as his helper, it's not a lesser position as we all know that God calls himself our helper. Eve was referred to as a helper to Adam before the fall, so it wasn't a plan B. We're a helper to our husbands, just as God is a helper to us. We are our husband's equal. We're on the same team. We're working together. 
Woman, therefore, was created as a complement to man, as an integral part of man, and as a power and influential companion for man. The word helper after this time is found in the Bible referring to God as he helps us. Ponder that, all right? This same word is applied to wives. Ladies, we have been given a powerful influence for good in the lives of our husbands. I think Proverbs 31, 12 comes to mind here. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. Our society gets this wrong. They think just that it's a servant, but it's much more than that. This is not about who's going to do the dishes or clean. Those things are going to work themselves out and look different in every home, and couples will figure that one out. Helper is greater than that. In John 15, 26, the word used for the Holy Spirit in the Greek word is helper. It says in John 15, 26, but when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. Parakletos is the word there for helper. It has the same meaning as the Hebrew word azer um, in Genesis 2.18 for helper. And that's Genesis 2.18 is where it said, and the Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. So helper is found 15 times in the ESV version and refers to God, the Holy Spirit, and the woman. Helper means to plead for another's cause, to intercede. And this, this definition, I love it, means to pour into. I'm not called to fix my husband or control him but I am called to pour into him. So my biggest help I can be to my husband is to be Christ-like myself and to point him to Christ. So we were created to be beside the man, not below him. We complement and complete each other in the union of marriage. Marriage creates the closest of all human relationships. We are both equals in God's kingdom. And Galatians 3.28 reminds us that there's neither male and there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And we stand side by side as fellow heirs of the gracious gift of life, as it states in 1 Peter 3, 7. Let me close this part on Helper with a favorite quote of mine from Matthew Henry. He says, Women were created from the rib of man to be beside him, not from his head to top him, nor from his feet to be trampled by him, but from under his arm to be protected by him, near to his heart, and to be loved by him, end quote. I do want to link to a post that I have at the blog called um, 18 Ways to Be Your Husband's Helper, and I'll put that in the show notes. Okay, so we've been designed in the image of God, male and female, by the same God in the same garden, but we've been, we're designed with different strengths and different weaknesses, right? We've been designed to complement one another. This view I'm stating here is known as the complementarian view. This word, the word complement as a noun, and just looking it up in the dictionary, I love these, just looking it up in the dictionary as a noun, it means a thing that completes or brings to perfection. And as a verb, it means to add to something in a way that enhances or improves it, to make perfect. Beautiful definitions there, right? We complement our husbands. We help to enhance or improve. We complete them, okay? We've already seen distinct gender roles in creation, and when we submit to God's design, 
we are able to pursue our God-given potential. So Ephesians, very familiar verses we all know, 5, 21 through 33, lay out the model for our Christian marriages and homes as the husband is given headship of the family and he's called to love and care for his wife and family, to lead them and serve them lovingly and humbly. And the wife has been called to willingly submit to her husband's leadership and to show respect for her husband and to care for her family. When we're living this out, Not perfectly, I get it, because we battle the flesh daily, but as we desire to live out God's ways and complement one another in this way, Christ is honored. This is when marriage becomes a picture of what it was meant to be, a living picture of Christ in the church. I want to read the verses to you in Ephesians. So Ephesians 5, I'm starting in verse 22 and going to go on to 33. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband." Right, I want to come back to the one flesh again. In Ephesians 5.29, which I just read, listen to the picture we have of Christ in his church again. So here's Ephesians 5.29. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Jesus cares for it. He nourishes and cherishes it. Husbands are called to cherish their wife and care for her as though it was his own flesh. This is a beautiful picture. So let's talk about the importance of leaving and cleaving as it states in Genesis. So our marriages, they must take priority over any other earthly relationship. I can see this so clearly now as my children are now grown and out of the home. Our relationship with our children is temporary and changing, but we are with our husbands together until death do us part. As adult children, we're still called to honor our parents, but we're no longer in subjection to them. So when we're joined in marriage, it's to be a lifelong covenant. Marriage was designed by God to be permanent. Christ will never leave his bride. Covenant means a coming together. It's a promise made between two parties. This Greek word basically means to order or dispose for oneself or another. So marriage is a covenant commitment, a promise to stay together. Divorce is a sinful violation of God's design. And I read some verses there, Matthew 19, 3 through 9, or Malachi 2, 14 to 16. And when the marriage covenant is violated through adultery or abandonment, God allows protection for the innocent party. And that's Matthew 4, 32, or 1 Corinthians 7, 15 to 16. But let me state here. And I'm never saying to stay where you are in danger or harmed by abuse. That That is very clear. Ladies, you need to get to safety. You can call the proper authorities, call the police, and then make sure you go and talk to your church elders. That's an important aspect to bring your church body into it, your leaders. Okay, but I do want to state, many Christians, 
um, choose to stay and work through difficult and hard marriages, all right? Just because a spouse commits adultery does not mean divorce has to take place. Too many believers give up easily, and statistics show that the divorce rate is the same inside and outside the church, and this should not be. God can transform the most challenging of marital circumstances. But many times, couples don't want to do the hard work it takes. It takes time, too. It's not an overnight fix. Seek counseling and help from your church. You do not need to walk through a difficult marriage alone. Find others to help you and to walk through these difficult seasons with you. This is why the importance of being part of a local body of believers is so important. Um, all right, I'm still on leave and clean, cleave here, moving on towards cleave. Our marriages are designed by God to be the most intimate earthly relationships that we have. Marriages work. It takes time and learning much about one another and offering much grace to one another. Spend time with your husband. Pray for him. Forgive much. Overlook much and serve him with a joyful heart. Look at your husband as a gift because he is a gift from the Lord to you. Dote on him. Take care of him. Have fun. Laugh much together and just enjoy being together. Plan special moments. Take time to have deep conversations together. This is all part of cleaving, which means to stick to or to become closely attached, unified, being glued together. I like that last definition, being glued together. Becoming unified and attached takes intentional times of being alone together. And I know many of my mamas out there listening are in the busyness of children and chaos, but those babies do go to bed eventually, right? There are such things as um, grandparents. I love being able to help our daughter and son-in-law to watch their littles. There are um, um, good babysitters to find within your church family or after the babies go to bed or even I always think you can sit and linger at the dinner table for a bit or while you're cleaning up the dishes together. You can be intentional to serve your husband in ways as simple as sending notes and texts and phone calls, planning simple and very inexpensive and budget-friendly dates or by planning some fun, extravagant times together, right? But even in those date nights, you need to learn to communicate deeply with one another. I'm really looking forward to that podcast because that is so important, ladies. This takes work. We're going to talk about the importance of communication because it is necessary. Good relationships require good communication. All right. So <clears throat> I know that I'm going to talk more next week on what biblical love looks like for our husbands, but I have a podcast about what it looks like to cherish our husbands that I'd love you to listen to if you haven't yet. I'll link to it in the show notes. I forget what number it is. Um, I want to say it's 17, but I don't know that that's right, but you can find it in the podcast show notes or in the link here. Um, but it's taken from a message that I had the privilege of giving at a friend's wedding shower. And I, again, will link that. And I also have an interview that I did on Loving Our Husbands with Women's Hope Podcast. I just love um, the host Kim and Kimberly there. So maybe um, if you get a moment to take a listen to that one too, it might be a little encouraging. All right, so I've walked through the creation account and I want to summarize our roles as women. I can attest as a Christian woman, my greatest joy next to the Lord has been in being a wife and mother. This is not going to be politically correct, but we're really not about that here, okay? We're about being biblically correct. Feminism has made many women abandon these roles that God has divinely ordained. My fulfillment and contentment doesn't come from being a wife and mother. It is in Christ alone. That's key. I don't want us to forget that as believers ever. God is the only one who can meet all my needs. My husband and children can't. My friends can't. My church can't, okay? I also want to state that um, 
marriage is a gift of God, but I do want to acknowledge that because I know I have maybe unmarried um, ladies and singles out there listening, I want to acknowledge that some people are called to the gift of singleness and read through 1 Corinthians 7 verses 7 through 8 and also in chapter 7, there are 1 Corinthians verses 32 to 34. And to those who are not married yet, but desire to be, I so encourage you to wait on the Lord, find your contentment in Him during this season of life. So again, as I move forward here, be reminded that not every woman is called to marriage. And the other reminder is that if you are called to marriage and it isn't happening in the timing you would like, to be patient and wait on God's timing. Elizabeth Elliot has a great quote I love. She says, if you are single today, the portion assigned to you for today is singleness. It is God's gift. Singleness ought not to be viewed as a problem, nor marriage as a right. God in his wisdom and love grants either as a gift. So my listeners out there who are single, I want to give a quick encouragement that I hope you seek to be fully known and loved by Christ first and foremost. There is no greater love than his. And my listeners who are childless but desiring to have children, please be reminded too that your identity is not tied in any way to having children but it needs to be standing firm that you are God's. Your identity is in Christ. Life is hard and there are many difficulties we face. And even those of us that do have children face hardships with our children. And this is why having a theological understanding of who we are in Christ is so important. Tons of verses in scripture that talk about who we are in Christ. And I highly recommend, it's a short but impactful book called Who I Am by Jerry Bridges. Reread it when you find yourself starting to base your joy and contentment in anything other than Christ, all right? And I want to do a just a, a quick little pause here, sort of my little commercial break, that this topic of our identity in Christ is one that is going to be in the upcoming Homemaking Ministries Conference, and one I get to share on in two sessions, and then Jamie's going to share on the other two about our identity in Christ. I'd love you to join us. There are so many great topics to be discussed, and I'm going to put a link in the show notes if you'd like more information on it. It's coming up this fall, but at this time, there's some early bird pricing going on, so it's a good time to get in if you're interested. It's my favorite conference of the year that I look forward to. It is a fun time of interaction with the ladies, and if you're on Facebook, there's a Facebook group, and after each session goes up, then that whatever speaker just spoke is going to be live in the Facebook group for some interaction. And a lot of the ladies do it by video, um, so that's kind of fun to interact in that way. So I'd love to see you guys there. All right, ladies, so God knows every one of our struggles, and he promises to never leave us or forsake us. So in whether it is in difficult marriages, in time of singleness, in time of... Um, childlessness or infertility um, or waiting on the Lord um, to possibly be married one day, all right? I want us to take heart, my dear sisters. Our circumstances and trials on this earth are temporary, but our identity in Christ lasts forever. So whatever season we're in, I hope that we will embrace the life the Lord has called us to, fully trusting Him and desiring to bring Him honor and glory through it. All right, so we've discussed already helper in a bit more of detail. My last three areas to talk about regarding our roles as wives are respect, love, and submitting to our husband's leadership. And I'm going to touch on them briefly because we're going to cover each one of them in more detail over the next weeks together in this marriage series. 
So our culture today has much confusion over the roles of husbands and wives in marriage. So it's important that we as Christian women have a clear understanding of what God's word says as to how we should relate to our husbands. Scripture is very clear as to our unique responsibilities as wives in regard to our husbands. Ephesians 5.33 tells us, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Respect here is the Greek word phobio, which means fear, reverence, respect, and honor. And the idea here is not to be afraid of someone in this context, but it's to have a really profound measure of respect for our husbands. It's in the present tense, which calls for continuous respect. And again, it is obviously much easier to do when we are being loved sacrificially and unconditionally by our husbands. But we are called to do this whether or not that is the case. It is not conditionally based, all right? We need to be mindful of that. So clearly, we see that regardless of what culture says, God's word says, let the wife see that she respects her husband. It's also an imperative, which is a command. So that means we are to continuously choose to respect our husbands. Our respect cannot just be an outward showing, but it should be an inward heart attitude of obedience to God. God has given our husbands authority over our families. 1 Corinthians 11.3 says, But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. So we are to respond respectively because of their God-given position. Listen, I get it. There's going to be days and moments that our husbands don't seem worthy of respect in our eyes. They will sin, make bad decisions, not be kind in their responses to us. But that doesn't change what we're called to do. I've said this before. It is not okay to sin in response to sin. We are not very worthy to love every moment, ladies, but I'm thankful that my husband's love for me isn't based on my lovableness. And more importantly, I'm thankful that God's love for me isn't based on my performance, but on the performance of another, capital A, in my place, Jesus. So if you would respond, even in those challenging times with respect and using Ephesians 4.29 as a guide to your words and actions, first off, it would be honoring to the Lord which is most important. And secondly, over time, your husband is going to notice your kind responses. All right. Ephesians 4.29 says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Good. Again, I've said this in past podcasts, good ones to memorize. I don't know about you, but it's really hard to argue or be rude to someone when they're being kind and gracious in our response to us. So again, we're going to work through this much more in the next couple weeks here, but I want to leave you with some wise words from Martha Peace to remember in regard to respecting our husband. She says, treating your husband with respect is not something that your husband must first earn. It is something that you choose to show him. It is an underlying heart's attitude that is to be prevalent regardless of your circumstances and in spite of your feelings. How hard are you willing to work at it? End quote. The truth I love to remember We are not left alone to work at it, right? In Christ, with God's enabling grace, we can show respect to our husbands. This is a long podcast, ladies, so bear with me here. If you're still hanging in, that's so good. You know what I love about these apps. You can pause and come back, but I'm... I've got a little bit more yet to go, so hold tight here with me, all right? So the next area is showing love to our husbands. Our husbands need to be loved unconditionally, and they need to be accepted just as they are. Love is a choice. We're biblically called to love our neighbors, and my husband is our closest neighbor. 
So Titus 2.4 is exhorting the older women to train the young women to love their husbands. And the word here for love used in Titus 2.4 is phileo, and it's a kind, tender, affectionate, passionate kind of love. I love, or obviously all about love in this section, sorry. I love that Vine's Dictionary states that they are to be lovers of their husbands. We can get so caught up in caring for and serving our husbands. And ladies, we can do this with bad attitudes, right? We could be really angry. I've said this before. I mean, I know myself, I could be totally upset about something and I can still serve my husband dinner and do things, but I'm forgetting to enjoy him and love him in those moments. So it needs to be, it needs to be within a kind and tender and affectionate love. All right. And our love to our husbands is not conditional. It's not only if they're lovable. As I stated earlier, we're not lovable all the time and our husbands are not biblically to call to love us only if we're lovable. And along with Titus 2.4, all right, we're still called to love our husbands as stated in 1 Corinthians 13 with agape love, right? Because I stated earlier, it's also used in Mark 12.31 regarding loving our neighbor and our husbands are our closest neighbor. I'm again not going into great details as we will soon, but when we are commanded to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we will then be in a right way to love our husbands as we love ourselves. All right, I know that there are going to be difficult circumstances and many of you may be in marriages that are very challenging, but I only ask you to look to the cross when the Lord Jesus purchased our salvation through his suffering and sacrifice. We know that we can trust the promise of Romans 8.28, that it is true. He is working all things for our good and his glory. It may not be seen in this earthly life, but in the eternal. So seek the Lord in your challenges in your marriage. Pour out your heart to him. He loves us and we can cast our cares on him because he cares for us. And one last thought here before I leave you, I want to leave with two of my favorite quotes. Titus 2.4 tells us that the older women are to teach the young woman. It means it doesn't always just happen naturally, all right? But it may need to be learned as a response of the grace of God in our lives. If God has called us to it, he will equip us to follow through, all right? So my first quote is from Elizabeth Elliot. It's from her book, Love Has a Price Tag. And this was a very impactful, impactful quote for me as a young believer. I believe I heard it at a, at a women's conference I was at um, in my early years. But she said, a wife, if she is very generous, may allow that her husband lives up to perhaps 80% of her expectations. There is always the other 20% that she would like to change. And she may chip away at it for the whole of their married life without much reducing it by very much. She may, on the other hand, simply decide to enjoy the 80% and both of them will be happy, end quote. The 80-20 rule. That's a good reminder, ladies. And the last one I want to share is from Shirley Rice. I just think it's very beautiful. And I've taken it from a favorite read of mine called Feminine Appeal by Carolyn Mahaney. So Shirley Rice says, Are you in love with your husband? Not, do you love him? I know you do. He's been around a long time and you're used to him. He's the father of your children. But are you in love with him? How long has it been since your heart really squeezed when you looked at him? Why is it you've forgotten the things that attracted you to him at first? Your husband needs to be told that you love him, that he is attractive to you. By the grace of God, I want you to start changing your thought pattern. 
tomorrow morning, get your eyes off the toaster or the baby bottles long enough to look at him. Don't you see the way the coat, his coat fits his shoulders? Look at his hands. Do you remember when just to look at his strong hands made your heart lift? Well, look at him and remember, then loose your tongue and tell him you love him. Will you ask the Lord to give you a sentimental, romantic, physical, in love kind of love for your husband? He will do this, end quote. All right, that was, I just think that's a beautiful reminder. All right, we're almost to a close, so we're getting there, ladies, and I'm going to touch briefly on submission. Great way to end the podcast, huh? All right, so Ephesians 5, Ephesians 5.22 tells us, wives, Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Let me state a couple of things that it doesn't mean first, just really quickly. It doesn't mean wives are to obey their husbands like a child their parents. That's not it. We're not slaves. It doesn't mean we don't ever share our opinions or give advice. We're not doormats or wallflowers, and we are not in any way inferior to our husband. As I stated earlier in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Greek nor Jew, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. All right. We are to submit as unto the Lord and look at submission as an act of obedience to the Lord and not just to our husbands. It's an imperative, so it's a command, and it's not based on how our husbands treat us. Our husbands are nowhere commanded to force submission, but it is for the wife to voluntarily submit to her husband again as unto the Lord. I've heard it stated that she is her husband's teammate and she should desire to do what best supports the team. So submission has to involve not just our actions, but our attitude. Do we delight to do God's will, or do we do it with a grumbling, complaining attitude? We can't be a helper to our husband or love him, respect him if we're not in submission to his leadership. Submission should be a happy response to our husband's leadership. Ephesians 5.23 describes it as headship. Probably the best description I've ever heard on submission comes from John Piper, and here's what he says about this idea of submission. He says, submission is the divine calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and to help carry it through according to her gifts. It is the disposition to follow a husband's authority and an inclination to yield to his leadership. And then he, he continues, he says, it's an attitude that says, I delight for you to take the initiative in our family. I'm glad when you take responsibility for things and to lead with love. I don't flourish in the relationship when you are passive, and I have to make sure the family works without you, end quote. Again, just giving some quick encouragement here, and we're going to talk more on it. But I encourage you to spend some time in Ephesians chapter 5 and passages like 1 Peter chapter 3. If this is a struggle for you, study these scriptures deeply. Look up these particular passages. Write down the definitions of words so you have an expanded understanding of the verse Look up the cross-references listed. They give you a deeper understanding too. All right, so I'm going to state a simple truth here. It is obviously easier to live a life of godly submission to a man who is a godly leader, and it will be more difficult, but let me state here clearly, it is not impossible by God's grace if he's not a godly leader. It may make it more difficult, but it's not impossible, all right? I mean, I know I love when my husband takes the lead and makes decisions, But he is also a godly man who seeks out my thoughts on issues and takes them into consideration. He prays about areas of tough choices, and we work through it together. We've also been married now over 32 years. He knows my strengths and weaknesses. He looks to me now for help in those areas where he knows I may be stronger than he is, no different than I do the same towards him. 
So my last quick thought to share here is there are decisions to be made in every home, right? And this is where we need to learn to trust the Lord, ladies. When there's a decision in our home and we differ, and let me tell you though, after 32 years of being married, these are rare occasions in our marriage because we usually agree on most things now. But when we do differ and we have spent time praying and my husband still feels strongly led to go in a different direction than I would choose, I need to trust him in making that decision. And by doing that, I am trusting the Lord. My submission at that moment is ultimately to Jesus, all right? I'm really looking forward to the podcast on submission. And right now it's looking like a two-part series. My husband is going to share with us on the theology of submission and my time of sharing will make it more practical on what it is and even what it isn't and what it kind of looks like lived out. You know me, I'm the practical one. So I, I love application helps to give ideas. Okay, so we're closing here with Ephesians 5, 31 through 32 and some final thoughts. So we're getting near the end. If you've hung in me with this long, you are doing really great. So Ephesians 5, 31 through 32 says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ in the church. So as a wife is to her husband, so the church is to Christ. Marriage is a reflection of the magnificent mystery of the union between Christ and his church. This was completely unknown until the New Testament, all right? So the Greek word for mystery in Ephesians 5.32 is mysterion. It's spelled M-U-S-T-E-R-I-O-N. And mysterion in scripture, it refers to a previously hidden purpose of God, which when uncovered is understood by the spirit-taught believer. So in other words, this mysterion signifies those truths which are part of God's plan and can only be understood as he reveals them by his spirit through his word. Mysterion is a truth which, without special revelation, would have been unknown, and thus is commonly used with words denoting revelation or knowledge. Some examples would be in Matthew 13, 11, it says to know the mysteries, or Revelation 16, 25, it says revelation of the mystery, or Ephesians 3, 3 says made known the mystery, all right? So we know that in the garden, Adam realized that there was no other creature like him, and there was no one who could help carry out the mandate to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. God said it was not good for man to be alone and made him a helper fit for him, Eve, right? God put Adam to, in a deep sleep and made Eve from the side of Adam and presented him to her in the first wedding ceremony. How awesome is that, huh? So when Paul refers to that mystery in Ephesians 5.32, he's referring to the hidden plan of God that has come to fulfillment in Jesus Christ. When he refers back to Genesis 2 in Ephesians 5.31 about marriage, he's showing us the relationship between Christ and his church. The original husband and wife union is modeled on Christ's union with the church as his body. So from the very beginning, marriage was created by God to be a beautiful picture of Christ in the church. So the marriage roles are extremely important as they reflect the relationship of the bride of Christ and Christ himself. This is a living picture of how Christ and the church relate to one another. Our marriages are a portrait of the marriage of Christ to his church, which in turn means that marriage is all about the gospel. So in describing the picture-perfect marriage, Tim Challies writes on this in a post of his, which I will most definitely link to so you can read the whole post, but I'm going to share a paragraph here from it. 
He says marriage is not ultimately about relational fulfillment or sexual fulfillment or procreation. All of those things are tied up in it, but the ultimate purpose of marriage is to serve as a portrait of the real marriage. The question is, is your marriage a good portrait or a bad one? Is it an accurate one or a distorted one? And he continues, he says, let me illustrate in this way. He says, I want you to picture an artist who has been called by the king and told to come to his wedding. This artist has been given the task of painting the official wedding portrait of the bride and groom. So he gets there early, he sets up his easel, he gets out his paints and begins to mix them to make the colors he will need. He prepares his canvas and brushes. When the bride and groom come, he sits for a long time and just looks at them and studies them. And then he begins to put paint on canvas. At first, it's just lines and blobs, but as he keeps working, the people begin to take shape, the groom in his fine suit and the bride in her dress. And as he works hour after hour, the portrait gets better and sharper and more accurate and more beautiful. First, you see the outline of their heads and then the shape of their faces and then the expressions in their eyes. And when at last that artist is finished, he has painted a masterpiece, a stunning portrait of the bride and groom. And he continues, he says, The relationship of Christ and the church, the gospel, is all about the marriage of a bride and a groom. We Christians are the bride and Christ is the groom. The union of Christ and the church is the real marriage. And our marriages are to serve as that portrait, that image of the ultimate reality. So here's the happy ending to the story. Our marriages get to be a portrait of Christ and the church. What a privilege, he says. Marriage is a display of the gospel. That means that whatever we do in marriage is meant to bring glory to Christ. And that is the happiest ending of all. Now that we know that, we can read those scary words like submission and headship and see that it is all going to work out really, really well, end quote. And I will link to that article. So as Tim Challies left his post there, that's where I'm going to leave it with us as we work through more and more over the next weeks together to see how our marriages put the gospel on display. And I want to ask us ladies to think about those questions. Are our marriages a good portrait or a bad one? Are our marriages an accurate one or a distorted one? What? Do, how do our marriages serve as a portrait of the real marriage? So thank you for your time today, my friends. I know it was a long one, and they may be a little longer in this series, but I don't know that I want to break them into two parts just because the whole works together well. So always, you know you can pause and come back and listen when you get time. But I can tell you, I'm so glad to be back here with you all. I have missed my time here with you. And as always, you can find the show notes and links to the post or the links to the podcast at my posts on thankfulhomemaker.com under the podcast show notes tab. So you all have been so good to me with your reviews and ratings, and I want to hug every one of you who have left them. They have been such a blessing and encouragement for me to read, and I'm so thankful. And they've also been a huge help in other Christian women finding the podcast. So thank you so very, very much. Um, Have a very blessed week, my friends. Mm -hmm.